0: Hey, welcome to the podcast of the Kelly Cotrera Show for Thursday, December the 3rd. I don't know if you heard about this. Yesterday, the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention decided to reduce its recommendation for quarantine timing. We'll talk about if we should consider following suit here in Canada. Also going to highlight stories about what you've lost that has been returned to you after a guy in Port Dover who lost his wallet in 1966 just got it back. It's an interesting story. That's coming up. But first, the star broke a story yesterday. And the news is that Adamson's Barbecue has been flouting the rules for years. They have uh, he has three locations, one of them in Etobicoke. We know that that location in Etobicoke just broke all kinds of rules. But the original location in Leeside has been operating without a business license for more than four years I kid you not. It has been fined three times since 2016. So it's not like the city didn't know he was breaking rules. Here to talk about it, Brad Ross, spokesperson for the City of Toronto. Brad, thanks for your time today.
1: You're welcome, Kelly.
0: Okay, so what's the problem? Do you know the problem with the uh, lease side, his original flagship um, location?
1: Well the, the the issue is that um you're right he doesn't have a business license and we've been uh, trying to work with him to you know to to make sure he can you know come into compliance with with uh, you know the licensing rules um the the location in which uh, that that establishment exists is not uh zoned for uh an eating establishment um for the size of that establishment so uh he had applied for a, a license i don't want to get into too many details but that would have had you know 523 square meters and uh, the new bylaw uh, said a maximum of 500 and uh, uh so you know he can continue to to operate without uh, making those adjustments could we uh, say so, it in
0: simpler form you can't have a restaurant there but he did anyways
1: uh, well, he can't. You can, but it needs to be within the zoning. Well, rules you can't if the building's so, too
0: big for what the zoning law says. It's just, well, it's impossible, for, for isn't the, it?
1: For the, for the for the seating capacity that he had, it was too big, so he needed to to make some adjustments. And you know, and you can you can apply for exemptions and the like, but uh, that that has yet to occur. So, as you noted, he has been uh, charged uh, three times by the city. It's the courts. I want to be clear: it's the courts that impose. Uh, the penalties Uh, ultimately yes the city could uh, seek a closure order by the courts but you know our job isn't to and this is all before by the way all of this happened you know in the last couple of weeks with this with this uh, individual Um, you know we're not in the business of trying to put businesses out of business we're in the business of you know helping them comply and understand what the rules are because yeah they can be complex uh, and that that's what we've been trying to do over the years
0: why do you need a business license to operate a restaurant
1: well, there's a number of reasons. One is uh, we want to make sure that a you are within the zoning rules, as we just discussed. Uh, B that you have the necessary insurance. We want to see, uh, you know, uh, that that you have insurance to operate a business like that, uh, as well as to connect with Toronto Public Health and their DineSafe safe inspections, so that they can go out and uh, and do inspections of uh, of establishments under the DineSafe safe bylaws. So you know the, red, the 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 green, yellow, and red passes that you see. In the windows of every restaurant uh, that is that is how the two systems talk to each other so that uh, public health can do those inspections in this case they had done inspections there actually without him having a license and uh, i can only surmise that it was perhaps a complaint-based uh, um, action that, that caused public health to go and have a look
0: okay so we know that you need a business license because for zoning reasons he wasn't zoned to have a, a business there, so he probably shouldn't have got the license. We also know that he needed a business license for insurance uh, purposes. I don't know anything about the insurance. Do you?
1: I do not. No, okay. no. I'm just I just say generally that's what you know. We, we look for we look for those things so that you know people are operating businesses where they need to have a license and that uh, and that they're in compliance with 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 other laws to you know it's, it's for public safety, frankly. Yeah,
0: and so let's get to the public safety. So he was in fact. Um, uh, as most restaurants are, as all restaurants are, um, put through the paces with the health inspectors because it's for our, you know, our well-being. It's, what's the program called? The, with the green?
1: It's
0: pass. dine safe dine safe right and i mean i always look for those i always look for the green card as i walk into the, uh, an establishment in the city of toronto it's extremely helpful so mm-hmm. it, wouldn't it be as simple as, as having the the inspector the health inspector say hey can i see your business license excellent let's get on with this and if he doesn't have the business license i'm sorry we're not getting on with this there's no way you're going to pass um public health uh orders here because you don't have a license we're closing you down
1: yeah, I, I I totally hear what you're saying, Kelly, and I uh, you know I'm not going to uh, defend the, the you know the, the 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 bureaucracy if you will that that gets into this uh, the, these issues. The systems do need to talk, and that's how you know as I said, Toronto Public Health. Are alerted to know to, to go and 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 you know and inspect, as say, a new uh, establishment that has a business license. Uh, they went and inspected this place; didn't have a license, but as I say, it may have been complaint-driven. But public health inspectors, uh, Toronto public health, don't have the authority to, uh, you know, to shut down the business. There's there, there has to be different. You know, there has to be due process, and and that's why we you know we charge.
0: Yeah, but how many ch- how many chances do costs. we get, Brad? Because yeah. this sets a really bad precedent for business owners that want to skirt the law i mean clearly now we know this was this probably was not just about the pandemic this is a guy who's saying you know what to authority all the way down the line because it's only 800 bucks
1: right so as i say this you know the the charges that we have laid already were pre uh the pre-pandemic and uh as i said as well off the top is that look we're not in the business of 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 you know of trying to put businesses out of business we want them to uh, to, to be in compliance so that they can succeed. We're not, you know, we, we, we want to make that happen. And so we work with businesses to help them understand... What about the businesses the that don't are. want to be in compliance? Well, then ultimately, Kelly, yeah, they could be shut down. And so that would require a court order and that would require city staff to to, to go through those paces. And so I'm not going to speculate on what may happen next with this particular establishment, but uh, we are taking a very close look at that, as you might uh, as you might imagine.
0: Is it still open for takeout? they are wow all right well brian i I thank you for your time today i know it's uh it's one of those stories where you're i the listenership i'm sure is shaking their heads and and business owners that are on the up and up can't believe it but uh it's good that we know about it
1: it's very frustrating um and you know we are incredibly disappointed that that uh, you know he has continued to do this and uh, we we are looking very closely at uh, at this particular establishment and and what uh, what remedial action we may be able to take that was within the city's powers
0: brad thanks so much i appreciate your time today
1: anytime kelly take care bye-bye
0: cheers that's brad ross from the city of toronto i want to just open up the phone lines dave if we could just take a couple seconds here 416-870-6400 how does this make you feel business owners operating within the law 416-870-6400. Because I think at the very least, the health inspector should be able to say, guess what? I'm not passing you. If you don't have a business license, they should be able to slap you with a, um, a red card, which means you can't serve food for a while until that gets, that gets, uh, cleared up. I mean, that would have been a very easy way to deal with Adamson's barbecue before things went out of hand. And you know, this really to me, shows this guy's true colors. It's not just about the pandemic. This guy's been skirting the law allegedly for a long time here. I mean, since 2016? Give me a break. Let's let's just uh, the star outlined this quite um quite well. He's only been fined, he's been fined three times, a total of eight hundred dollars since twenty sixteen for operating the first in you know, his flagships uh, restaurant uh without a license. The annual feast of the city To obtain a license would have been about $500 initially and then $300 each year to renew over the last five years. And it's far less than the $25,000 maximum fine for an individual and the $50,000 for a corporation if convicted of operating without a business license, apparently. So, if that's the case, 416-870-6400, I just want to find out how you feel. Like, listening to this, does it... As a as a business owner who's operating within the law, you saw what happened. That it just the circus. It was a circus. There was a guy walking on his hands. They are they were short a fire eater, and a, well, there was a strong man there, I'm sure. But the, I mean, it was full on pageantry at Adamson's barbecue uh last week, and. I just, I can't imagine how struggling businesses feel when they look at this and they hear about this. Hey, Scott in Toronto, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, how are you?
0: I'm great. So do you own a business, restaurant?
3: No, I don't own a restaurant, but I do own a
2: business. Okay. My head is going to explode. How how in God's name can this city allow this guy to operate for a single solitary second knowing all the stuff that he's do- that
4: he's doing
0: well you know How what you can. well i i you know brad ross didn't even seem to know no offense to brad he's a, he's a great guy but it, it's it's like there's a bunch of different um you know people talking into telephones and and they're like the line is broken the message is not so, getting getting through to the appropriate.
1: Uh,
2: people. Is it
4: John Tory. Is it? Where's the person that says, "Wait a minute,
2: this needs to stop today," and that's the end of it? That should be the end of it.
4: Like I, I'm, my mind is just bogged well, by it.
0: You can now understand why. I, I mean, most people. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. As we know, right? Most people are on the up and up. But you can understand how somebody like uh, Adam Skelly would look at the lockdown rule and say, "Go ahead, find me." See if I care. Yeah, He's been facing fines for years, and it's and they're they're just nominal. They're they're a
4: pittance. But they don't do anything anyway.
0: It's amazing. Must be frustrating.
4: Oh my god!
0: Appreciate the call. I want to go to Mario in Toronto. Welcome to the show. Hello. So Mario, do you own a business?
3: Yes, I'm self employed. I, I same thing. I don't understand how the city allows this guy to even make one red cent on his, on his big publicity stunt, which is really what it is. I yeah, there was a guy
0: that. that called in that said that that restaurant didn't even open till that week. And he said this is yeah, the best I, grand opening media you could ever have.
3: Absolutely. And, and all the suckers that are out there that contributed to his GoFundMe page, they're just
0: suckers. Well, now Obviously they know they're, they're suckers, right? Because it's like, well, well this guy so. has a history of doing this. It's not about the small businessman. It's about him at the end of the day. Well,
3: it, it it just puts a it puts a you know a stain on the people that try to do things the right way, and it just what it does is it fuels people to do the things the wrong way. I mean, sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission.
0: This guy, uh, like, it looks like he's living his life that way. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show.
2: What's going on, Kelly? Kelly? Kelly?
0: Uh, well, I'm frustrated, and I can't imagine if, I'm business, if, if there's business owners listening to us that they, you know, hear the latest update on this Adamson um, barbecue story, and they don't almost blow a gasket.
2: Well, this guy's been a self-promoter from day one. He's latched on to people's frustrations about the lockdown, which, you know, are partially true. I mean, you know, big stores are open serving hot dogs like Walmart and Costco, and these guys are closed. I get it. You know, we all share that frustration, but... He's not playing by the rules that other restaurants have to play with. There's restaurants in the city that have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on tents, uh, mm-hmm. portable heaters, and they have been shut down because some pointy head in the city decides, no, that's still a closed space. Meanwhile, seagulls can fly through there. It's not an enclosed space, right? There is, you know, these rules that are implemented for restaurants and businesses uh, haven't been changed. You know what I mean? They're just on the fly, these rules. So, I get everybody's frustrations. It can be
0: so simple, though, Mike. I mean, just like, hi, we're here for Dine Safe. Can we see your business license? Uh, I must have misplaced it. Okay, here's a red card.
2: So, as a business, as a contractor, as a licensed contractor, electrical, I spend 10 grand January 1st on insurance, licensing, and all that stuff before I even send one crew out. And yet, people still hire unlicensed contractors to do work in their homes for cash. You know, that blow, makes me a blow a gasket. When I see these guys going getting materials with cash money, it's dirty money, and homeowners continue to do that. So it's up to the public to decide if they want to support these types of
0: businesses. So what you're saying, yeah, Mike, is there's a lot of people breaking the rules. And when the rules are easy to break or the fine isn't appropriate for breaking the rules makes it look kind of enticing. Yesterday, you may have heard the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention recommended that the quarantine time for close contacts of a positive COVID-19 case actually be reduced from 14 days to 10 or even 7 days in the States. So there are experts kind of back and forth banning about this idea. Do we follow suit here? Should we? Is it a good idea? We've reached out to our next guest, Dr. Don Shepard, the founder and director of MI4 for, oh, little bit of expertise on the subject. Welcome to the program. Good to have you on, Dr. Shepard.
5: Pleasure to be here.
0: What is MI4? Because it sounds like if you tell me, you're going to have to follow it up with, I may have to kill you.
5: (laughs) Yeah, there is a little bit of a play uh, on words there. So it's the McGill Interdisciplinary Initiative in Infection and Immunity, and we like to think of it as intelligent immunity, hence the link to British intelligence.
0: Okay. I like it. It's good. It's exciting and uh, somewhat uh, foreboding, scary. What's what, What's the CDC uh, shortening the recommendation for quarantine requirements for?
5: Well, first, let me just uh, take a step back here and, and let's be really clear exactly what the CDC said, because it's hard to fit it all into a headline, exactly what they said. But what they said is the absolute correct quarantine remains 14 days to guarantee, in fact, we are not changing that at all. There's no change in the biology. The virus hasn't changed. The rules are still the same. What they offered up is kind of a compromise solution for the fact that everybody recognizes that this 14 days isolation is really painful. It's causing issues with mental health. It's causing issues with uh, health care providers not coming back to work, et cetera, et cetera. So what they've come up with is a compromise solution. And there's two compromise solutions. One is based on sort of overall risk numbers. That's the 10 day. The idea being that Most disease happens with an average duration of five days. Ten days gets you out to like 98% of cases, so that we're taking that 2% risk just to get people back to work much faster. And then they have a technology solution, which is the seven-day solution with a test, and that's a different thing than the other two solutions, standard 14 or shortened 10.
0: Okay, but the reason why they want to do this is to like incentivize people to actually quarantine. Are they having a problem with people quarantining in the States?
5: So absolutely, people just have a lot of trouble doing it properly for 14 days and the number of people that end up on quarantine becomes very difficult to deal with. In my province here in Quebec, there are well over a thousand healthcare workers on quarantine now because of exposures in the healthcare setting. So the idea here with shortening the quarantine was simply to try and balance the the harm that the 14-day quarantine is causing to the benefit. And to spin it so that we can get people to really quarantine properly during the 10 days. Because one of the things people don't understand is if you don't quarantine it by yourself, it's a complete waste of time. And I mean that you can't quarantine with your family because what you do is ping pong the virus. 90% of viral infections are asymptomatic. So you go home on quarantine, you don't know you're infectious because you don't have symptoms. You infect your family members who don't know they're infected because they don't have symptoms. And your 10-day isolation has been a complete waste of time because you've created new cases in your household that go out and spread it. So okay, So what's, what's the difference, if I
0: could ask here to inter- interrupt, because now I'm confused. Yeah, go ahead. What's, and I can't be the only one. What's the difference between isolation and quarantine? Is there or are we just intermingling no. the, uh, the terms here?
5: No, intermingling the terms. They mean the same thing. You need to be locked away from other people so you cannot spread the virus, whether you know you have it or don't know you have it. And it's the same thing.
0: That's really interesting. So the people that are quarantined together, quarantining together are doing it wrong.
5: And we know this there's a beautiful big study done in the american military where they brought in recruits they made them quarantine for 14 days at home and then 14 days on base and at the end of that 28 day period they were still finding viral infections because they quarantined them in bubbles it doesn't work if you're going to do it to break the chain of transmission you can't be in a position to transmit it to anyone and that's just the straight up quarantine Then there's the testing technology solution, which is actually a really cool and smart way to deal with it.
0: Okay, and so maybe elaborate on that.
5: So this idea comes from the fact that we know that most people shed the virus before and early on when they're symptomatic, or if they're asymptomatic, the virus appears earlier than you would have symptoms. So, you know, we know that symptomatic disease extends, the the incubation period extends out to about 11 to 12 days. So therefore, if we test before that, we should be able to find the virus before 11 to 10 days. And so groups like our group have done studies to see, okay, let's let's test you at day five, let's test you at day seven, day 11 day 14. And let's see, does a positive test or a negative test predict at any one of those days whether you are or aren't going to develop disease? And what we found, it's exactly in line with the CDC. If you have a negative test after seven days after your exposure, you are going to stay negative. And so we can use that to test people at day seven of their isolation. And if they're negative, we know they're out of the woods.
0: Okay, so based on your uh, your studies and, and your findings, then this would be good to follow along with the CDC's recommendation of uh, reducing the amount of time that people quarantine for if they're near a positive COVID-19 case. However, we just don't have the capacity in our labs for this, right? That's the problem.
5: Well, so I think to be clear, I don't think the 10 days make sense because it's just adding risk. I don't think we need to do that when we have this seven day testing solution. And yes, the goal there is to ramp up our testing capacity so that every single person who's on isolation can get a test at day seven. There's enough slack in the system now to do it for the key essential workers, healthcare workers and people like that. But rolling it out for every single isolated person across Canada is a challenge that I think uh, we really still have a bit more testing, uh, ramping up of our testing in order for us to be able to do that. But I think it's an excellent solution to cut down the risk of transmission safely and to get people out of their lockdowns.
0: Ideally, is this the perfect use for a rapid test?
5: So we don't know for the rapid test because the problem with rapid tests are we know they're not as sensitive as PCR. And the PCR test, the ones that everybody's getting now, the famous stick the thing up your nose all the way into your brain and sample it, those tests have all been done with PCR and all the studies have been done with PCR. So saying that we can use a less sensitive test to do the same thing, that's a leap of faith. And I don't think we can say that until we prove that that works.
0: Well, one thing we can say is I was right. They did touch my brain.
5: (laughs) It's a horrible thing. I've had it done far more (laughs) than I would like. Uh, As a physician, but I can tell you, it does work.
0: All right. So uh, the long and the short of this is it's, you know, it's in keeping with what you're seeing as well within your studies. The ability to test in seven days would be a good idea. What are the odds of us following suit?
5: So I I think we're going to go there. I really do. There's an appetite for it. It just requires a little more effort in our testing and all the public health authorities are doing their best to ramp up testing. So it it all aligns very well. The one caveat is the 10 day thing. I I can't really say I support that. All that's doing is saying we're going to accept more risk. And with cases spiraling as they are in Canada, we don't need solutions that increase our risk and increase transmission when we have solutions that can do it safely without increasing that risk.
0: Dr. Don Shepard from an undisclosed location, I'm sure, founder and director of MI4. I was talking about this guy by the name of Darcy Major. He's 86, lives in Port Dover, lost his wallet 54 years ago. Some guy finds the wallet in an old couch, decides to go looking for him, and returns it. His wallet went missing in 1966, and now he has it back. He can't believe that someone would reach out. And return the wallet after all of these years. So my question to you is, what did you lose that was returned? Or what did you find that you managed to return to people? Hey, Robin Muskoka, you're up first.
3: All right. here's I didn't even know I lost until I got it back. About 10 years ago, I was billing with some friends. Stayed out and breakfast in the morning, so I had my wallet, paid for my breakfast, put it in my pocket. Then I, we drove about 200 Ks, Huntsville and back around. At the end of the day, I decided, let's go to Canadian Tire fill up so i fill up my snowmobile i walk into canadian tire and the lady hands me my wallet and i'm thinking what turns out some guy had found it It came out of my pocket in the middle of lake Muskoka, which is a good size lake he went by and happened to go to that gas bar and turn in my wallet
0: you've got to be kidding why did he just figure you might be back to that gas bar to fill up
3: I could have went to any gas bar. There's three or four. It was complete coincidence. I didn't even know it was gone until I walked into Lady and she handed it to me. And my brain is like, what?
0: That's the craziest story I think I've ever heard in my life.
3: It is. It it happened. I was like, for a minute there, you're like, wait, this is impossible. It's just the chance that I happened to go to that gas bar. And she knew me. She was a friend of my mom's. I had no idea who she was. But she she hands me my wallet. So I lost it, I guess, for about four hours.
4: Well, wow,
0: you got to love small towns. And I guess the uh, moral of that story is buy one of those wallets with a chain on it. They can attach to yourself. Mike in Toronto.
4: Hi, Kelly. My first question is what is a coach still doing around from the 60s?
0: Oh, man, do you know they built things to last then?
4: <laughs> oh, but it's got to be disgusting. Like, I wanna
0: know <laughs> you don't want that- to blacklight that.
4: No. Oh, my goodness. Uh, anyways, um, in the 90s, when fanny packs were uh, were in, uh, I wish uh-huh. they were uh, coming back. Hey, they're
0: back in. I rock one all the time during the pandemic. I'm
4: going to let my wife know that then. So I will let I her stole knowledge. it
0: from my husband.
4: <laughs> anyways, um, working on a job, I left my window open a crack and some guy must have got a coat hanger or something and took my mm-hmm. fanny pack out of the truck, stole my wallet. And a year later, I got a call. Some guy saying, oh, by the way, I found your wallet here. And I'm like, what do you mean you found my wallet like it's been a year he goes it was on the train tracks I said if you want it wow. back blah 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 so I met up with him I got the wallet back everything was intact obviously except for the money that was in there and the main thing that was in there everything was canceled was my birth certificate it was in there so I threw the wallet out I got the birth certificate back and that was the main thing that I was happy about was getting that back And
0: uh, yeah amazing it's so good never... that, you, that they found that
4: Oh, yeah. And the main thing is, I just never again have I left my windows open a crack enough to, you know, for someone to steal something. I like to open it a little bit so it doesn't get really mm-hmm. hot in the summer. But um, yeah, lesson learned, but very cool. I was, I was. See, you know, away. my lesson
0: is, done. Mike, I don't leave anything of any value in my car that I'm going to need that someone would rip off. John in, in Brampton.
6: Hi, Kyle. Hey, John.
0: Hey, yes. what did you lose and, and who gave it
6: back? I love your programmer, first of all. I appreciate I always, it. I, I always listen to the program, and I love it.
1: Thank uh, you.
6: A few years back when I first moved on my own after my, uh, right after my uh, separation, I paid my first month and then last month. And then the previous month, I hadn't set up my bank account yet. So I went to the bank and picked up $1,100 cash and put in my little They it as a bank envelope in there. Mm-hmm. And I put the apartment number, and uh, I was supposed to go pay to the superintendent. Uh, going in into the building I must have stepped over one of the steps and it fell off of my t shirt, uh shirt to pocket and uh and I went crazy. So I says I lost eleven hundred dollars. Uh, the day after, this little old lady come and knock on the apartment door. She had the apartment number and a little envelope. She goes, I think you lost something. And I said, oh, my God. I cannot believe it. I grabbed her and I hugged her and I thank you. And I wanted to give her some money. She goes, no, 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 no. So I brought a bottle of wine and some flowers, and she was crazy.
0: <laughs> oh, amazing. Says, That's oh! a great story. Not everybody is, you know, would yeah. find money and give yeah. it back, but what a sweet story. I'm so happy yeah. that you...
6: That was the nicest thing I ever... That never
0: happened to me. Yeah, things like that reaffirm your faith in humanity. And the reality is most people would give it back if they knew where it should go. And and just having that apartment number written on there. It, it was I was I was thinking as soon as you started, boy, you pulled an Uncle Billy. Uncle
2: Billy, look uh, you realize what's gonna happen if we don't find it.
0: And that's it for the podcast of the Kelly Cotrera Show. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to tell your friends that we have a podcast and click subscribe wherever you download your favorites.